we're here. Good morning. Um, good to see all of you here this morning. Again, I know if, uh, we've said this already, but if you're visiting us today, we're so glad you're here with us. Thanks for visiting. We hope that you can connect with God and connect with uh, people in our church community. We've been going through the, uh, the story of Jacob. So if you have your Bibles with you or your devices, please turn with me to uh, Genesis chapter 32. Um, as you're turning to that section, just want to quickly uh, give you the context of where we are. Uh, Jacob has been in conflict with Laban for 20 years, and he finally leaves Laban, and he's about to now enter the promised land, his home. Uh, but he also knows that it's been 20 years since he last spoke with his brother Esau. And last time we read about Esau, Esau was ready to kill his brother Jacob. So that's where we are. And so we'll start from the last verse of chapter 31. Early in the morning, Laban arose and kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned home. Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Mahanaim. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, in the country of Edom, instructing them, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, and female servants. I have sent to tell my lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. Just kind of briefly pause there. Interestingly, if you look at a map, um, actually, the land of Edom, Seir, is, is a bit out of the way for Jacob. Jacob doesn't necessarily have to go through Seir to get to Canaan, the promised land. So what we're recognizing here is this journey to meet Esau is intentional. Like, Jacob wants to do, do this. Even, even though it's extremely difficult for him, he's on his journey, on his way to meet his brother Esau. And notice also his humble posture. If you were here with us, what Genesis what, 28, 29, I mean, this was not Jacob's posture towards his brother, right? I mean, he, he wanted to outdo his brother Esau, but here his attitude is drastically changed. Verse 6, And the messenger returned to Jacob, saying, we came to your brother Esau, and he's coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him, and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two camps, thinking if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, Return to your country and to your kindred, that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of the steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he may come and attack me and, mother, uh, and the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. 
So he stayed there that night, and from, from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau, 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their calves, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. These he handed over to his servants. Every drove by itself and said to his servants, Pass on ahead of me and put a space between drove and drove. He instructed the first, When Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, To whom do you belong? Where are you going? And whose are those ahead of you? Then you shall say, They belong to your servant Jacob. They are a present sent to my Lord Esau. And moreover, he is behind us. He likewise instructed the second and the third and all who followed the droves. You shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him. And you shall say, moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he thought, I may appease him with a present that goes ahead of me. And afterward, I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on ahead of him. And he himself stayed that night in the camp. The same night he arose and took two wives, his two wives, his two female servants, his eleven children, and crossed the fort of Jabbok. He took them and sent and set them, sent them across the stream and everything else he had. And Jacob was left alone. We'll just pause there for briefly, just quickly. Um, so Jacob here is doing everything he possibly can to appease Jacob, uh, Esau, right? He's, he's humbled himself. He's sending um, overwhelming amounts of gifts to honor Esau. And then after that, he, he decides to spend a night by himself. He's totally alone, presumably to prepare himself, his mind, his heart, to meet his brother Esau. And then the next section here is God shows up. He answers Jacob's prayer. Verse 24. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip, hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of that place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip, of hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip and the sinew of the thigh. And this is God's word. We'll stop there. This is actually the climax of Jacob's story. And so, some of you might be familiar with the story, but this strange is really strange, isn't it? I mean, it's really strange. So here are three questions to help us unpack this story, okay? 
Three questions. Why does God wrestle Jacob? Number two, what does God accomplish by wrestling Jacob? And then number three, why doesn't God just like crush Jacob? Or why doesn't God prevail against Jacob? It seems like God allows Jacob to at least win or, or there seems to be a tie. So those three questions, and I think as we kind of think about these things, it'll help us to uh, understand this passage better. So number one, why does God wrestle Jacob? So in the beginning of the passage, it's unclear who this person is, right? It's, it's vague. But towards the end, it's very clear that Jacob recognizes that this is God. He says, I've seen God face to face, and I've been delivered. And he names a place Peniel because that means the face of God, right? So in the beginning, he doesn't know exactly what's happening. He does recognize that, that this person has special power because this person touches Jacob's hip with, with one touch, and it's out of place. And so through the night, he's wrestling, and in the morning, he recognizes, this is God. I've seen God face to face. And so the question then is, again, why does God appear to Jacob in this way? Now, throughout the Bible, we have God appearing to his people in different ways for different reasons, right? And so think about Moses. God comes to Moses as a burning bush, right? Why? Because Moses is kind of shepherd. He's not, he's not thinking, it's been 40 years since he left Egypt. He's not thinking about anything else. He's just shepherding his flock and he sees a burning bush. It's not burning up. And so he, it, it, he goes near and God says, Moses, Moses. And in Hebrew, whenever it's, words are repeated, it means, it means God, God's saying, Moses, Moses I, I want you to come close to me. And yet, I am a holy God. You need to take off your sandals, right? And so Moses recognizes who God is through this burning bush. God is holy, and yet God wants me to be close to him. Another, another way that God displayed or presented himself in, um, in, in different ways is through, in, in Isaiah's life. Remember in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah goes to the temple to pray because King Uzziah had died. And so he goes to the temple wanting to pray to God, but God shows up as a mighty, sovereign king. Why? Because God is saying to Isaiah, although King Uzziah had died, I am still in charge. Like, I'm sovereign. And so God appears to different people in different ways for different occasions. And I mean, the list can go on and on and on. So here, God comes to Jacob as a wrestler, why would God do this? Well, it's because Jacob, his whole life, was a big struggle. Jacob's life was one big, great struggle. struggle one struggle after another. It started with his birth, right? If you remember, he came out of his mother's room holding onto his brother's heel, like grabbing onto him. And there's this great struggle with his brother throughout his life. He wants to gain um, the, the blessing and the birthright. There's struggle with Esau. Then there is struggle with his father who did not approve Jacob. His father Isaac loved Esau and not Jacob. And so there is a struggle with his father. He ends up deceiving his father, stealing the blessing. Then there is this struggle with Laban, which we talked about last Sunday. For 20 years, great struggle with his uncle Laban. He deceives him, and he's deceived. And there's also struggle with Rachel and Leah. 
Jacob's whole life was one great big struggle. And so God shows up as a wrestler to say, Jacob, even though you've been struggling with people your whole life, the reality is you've really been struggling with me. You've been wrestling me, Jacob. I think that's why God shows up as as a wrestler and wrestles Jacob to say, Jacob, you've been struggling, but the reality is you have been struggling with me. So think about your life, friends. Just think about your life and think about struggles that you've faced in your life. Uh, My guess is there is a theme. Maybe some of you, your struggles have been with work. It's just hard. You've been struggling with finding the right job, a job that fits your gifts. You know, it's been struggle. Some of you, your struggles have been with marriage. Like, You've been married for 10, 15 years, and it's been just struggle, one struggle after another. Others of you might be parenting. Others of you might be maybe just health. Others of you might be money financially. You never feel like you've, you have enough. There's, there's a struggle one after another, and there's a theme. And God is saying, I believe today, that behind your earthly relational struggles, you really have been struggling with God. I was talking with a friend, and um, he was saying how for a significant portion of his life, he had struggled with money. He wanted to earn more money, but he just never felt like he, he could get there and just be anxious about money. And so he took just time to kind of think about why, why am I struggling with finances all the time? And then in sort of in the quietness of this person's heart, just thinking and reflecting, I mean, it really showed this person's um, struggle with like trusting in God right, that God will provide, and, and also not able to be uh, being thankful to God for what He has already provided. Um, yeah, how about, how about you, friends? Just think about your, your life. What's, like, what is, God, what is God saying behind your struggles? There are struggles in your life that you go through, and yet behind those struggles, the reality is our struggle is really with God. And I think that's why Jake, uh, God shows up in Jacob's life as a, as a wrestler. It's interesting here where, um, you know, Jacob, on the one hand, God is wrestling with Jacob. Um, he's wrestling, we could say, against Jacob in some sense. But on the other hand, God gives him grace. He doesn't overpower Jacob. He doesn't crush Jacob. On the other hand, on the one hand, God is wrestling with Jacob, wrestling against Jacob. On the other hand, God gives him grace so that he can prevail. That's, that, I think that's the Christian life. We have struggles in our life, and it's hard. It could be exhausting, and yet God gives us grace. So the struggle at times, we could say, is from the Lord, but it's for our good. He wrestles, wrestles us for, for our good, but he also gives us grace so that so that we can overcome. Here, I think, you know, we've said um, often kind of highlighting negative qualities, negative qualities about Jacob. But Jacob actually is a persistent person because here, even with his hip dislocated, he still wrestles with God. He doesn't give up. And so the first thing that I just want to say is in your struggle, friends, whatever that might be as you're thinking about your life and all of us have one, in your struggles, do not give up. 
prevail because God will give you strength to wrestle with whatever struggle that you're facing today. And all of us have something. Here's the second question. What does God accomplish by wrestling Jacob? Okay, so let's go back and just read a few verses here. Verse 24. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And then he said, Jacob. Um, there was this wrestling match, uh, and we, Jacob recognizes that this man has special powers, right? With one touch, his hip is dislocated. But Jacob holds on, and he asks this man to bless him. And then this man, say God, replies or asks, what is your name? Now, those of you who've been with us through this Jacob series, you would remember, was it chapter 27, 28? When Jacob was longing for blessing from his father, Isaac, what does Isaac ask him? Do you remember? Isaac says, who are you? What is your name? And 20 years ago, Jacob responded by saying, my name is Esau. Why? Because he knew that only way he could get this blessing from God was to pretend that he was his brother. Here, after 20 years, he rightfully said, I am Jacob. And I think this is what's happening here. He's not just saying, my name is Jacob. He's saying, God, this is who I am. I've been Jacob all my life. I have been deceiving people. I've hurt people. Here are my failures. Here are all my pains, my brokenness. I don't want to pretend anymore. I don't have to be Esau anymore. I want to be blessed by you. My name is Jacob. It's a, it's a, a response of confession and admission. No, I am no longer Esau. Here I am, God. I want to be blessed by you. And God says, what is your name? And Jacob says, my name is Jacob. It's a reply of confession. This is who I am, God. And I think this is really important. Because after he says, God, my name is Jacob. I am Jacob. This is who I've been. God comes and changes his name. He says, you no longer will be called Jacob, but you will be called Israel. And then he blesses him. All the struggles that Jacob had in his life, wanting to be blessed, wanting to outdo his brother, wanting approval from his father, wanting love from Rachel, wanting financial security from Laban, all of that struggle, he finally here says, recognize, I, I don't have to pretend. I, I, I can't be Esau. God, this is who I am. And then it's that point God comes and blesses him and changes his name, new identity and new destiny. Now, throughout Jacob's life, you know, the Bible kind of, goes back and forth between Jacob and Israel. And so I think that's a sign where he's still struggling. But here in this point, God comes and gives him a new sense of direction in his life, new, new identity. Um, you know, many years ago when I was in Philly, I had a friend, a pastor friend actually, and really good guy. But 
I, after getting to know him and kind of interacting with him, uh, after several years, I recognized the pattern in his life. And the pattern was he was a pastor, and he would stay, he would serve at a church for maybe two, three years, and then he would have this great like, conflict you know, with a senior pastor or another staff or a, a church leadership, and he would leave. He would find another church, and he would serve there for maybe two, three years, and same thing, a conflict, uh, he would leave in bad terms. And so initially he would say, Steve, I, you know, these churches or that pastor, I can't believe they're like this. And so, you know, being trying to be a good friend, I try to listen, and I go, yeah, how can they, how can they be that way? But this would have, this happened, I want to say about six or seven times within a span of about 15 years. That's like average two years per church. And so after maybe fourth and fifth time, I began to realize Okay, maybe it's not these churches, or maybe it's not that senior pastor. Maybe the issue is, I mean, I'm sure they're not perfect, but there's an issue in his heart, in his life. But as far as I can tell, there was no like acknowledgement or admission or confession. He would just keep finding new places to serve. This is important because our willingness to confess, our willingness to admit who we really are, it opens door. It opens door for God's grace to flow into our life. Friends, this is, this is really important because this is, this is how and this is the way we experience God's grace for us. It's not by trying to pretend that we're someone else or trying to think that we're better than ourselves. No, it's when we say, God, this is who I am. I've been struggling with this for a long time. This is what's really in my heart. It's at that point God rushes through with love and grace, and He changes us. He heals us. David, King David understood this after he sinned greatly, sin of pride, right? sin of adultery, and even murder, we could say. And then in Psalm 51, we, some of us know this prayer that he prays. He says, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. For you will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. The message translation says it this way. Going through the motions doesn't please you, God. A flawless performance is nothing to you. I learned God-honoring worship when my pride was shattered. Heart-shattered lives ready for love don't for a moment escape God's notice. Another way to put it is just when our pride is shattered and we can come to God saying, God, this is who I am, um, is then that God pours out His love in your life. That's what Jesus said in the Sermon on, on the Mount. The very first thing that He said was, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. It's when we recognize how desperate, bankrupt we are, that God comes and blesses us and heals us and changes us. It's not by trying to add on good works, no. That's why throughout the Gospels, Jesus 
approaches people who are desperate and broken, and He pours out His grace and His healing power and His love in their life. Not those who, not those people who, who wants to do better or, or, or people who have it together. No, it's those who are empty and broken that, that God notice. And the, and the powerful thing here is the context of this passage. Jake, uh, Jacob is deathly afraid of his brother. He doesn't want to face him. But after this passage, after seeing the face of God, uh, he, he's ready, he's able to face uh, his brother. This is, this is where we get strength. Not trying to put on more, I don't know, more righteousness of our own or good works or anything else. No, no it's being broken before God and recognize that we really don't have much to offer God, and yet God comes and blesses us. That's a space of strength. You can face anything if you're in that place. So friends, just you know, this, this morning, think about, are there anything that you can bring before God and confess or admit before Him? be something small, or maybe it could be something, a pattern that you see in your life. But you say, I come, God, I confess, this is who I am. God will be pleased. Again, as uh, the message translation says, I learned God worship when my pride was shattered. My last question is, why doesn't God prevail against Jacob? The peculiar thing about this passage is that, um, you know, we, in the beginning, it's unclear who this person is, but at the end, Jacob says, this, is, this was God. I, I've seen God face to face, and I've been, I've been spared. My life has, you know, has been spared. Um, so why doesn't God just come and overwhelm him? Because with one touch, he dislocates Jacob, Jacob's hip. And so obviously, God could have came and overwhelmed him with his strength. But God doesn't do that. Why not? Uh, I think this is the best, best way that I could think of, like, what's taking place here. When uh, my kids were young, like, I mean, like, really little, like, we used to wrestle, you know, not now. But when they're little, like, you know, wrestling is fun, right? You're wrestling, and for some reason, I don't know, like, the picture that I have in my mind is, like, we all took off shirts. (laughs) I don't know why, but I don't know, maybe felt more like, like strong, (laughs) I don't know. But we're wrestling, and, uh, you know, they're little, and so I would get on my like knees on my hand, you know, and so they were like, they would jump on me and, you know, I, like, yeah, I don't know, hit me or pull me or try to take me down, and it was fun. Um, but if I wanted to, I mean, I, I could have, like, easily crushed them, you know, like, <laughs> dropped an elbow or something like that. Not now, okay, but back then. But I also know that when they were little, like really young, I had to be careful not to crush them with my big body, you know. Um, I, think, I think something like that is happening here in this passage. Um, God comes in His weakness. Think about how beautiful this is. This is the God of the universe. He comes down to wrestle with Jacob. There's nothing else that's more intimate than wrestling someone. God comes and wrestles Jacob not to crush him, not to destroy him, but to save him, but to, to, to change him, to bless him. 
and to use him. That's what God does. And the Bible tells us that God will do that again. Jesus came on the cross in utter weakness. He crushed the sin in us without crushing us. He came down to our level, not to destroy us, but to save us, to change us, to bless us, and to send us out to use us. This is why we can come to God with confession. Because it's not out to get us. It's not out to crush us. If he wanted to do that, he could have done that a long time ago. No, he, he wants to crush the sin in us without crushing us. So that we might have a new name, new life, new purpose, new destiny. So this morning, I want to invite us uh, today as we come to the table and as we spend some time in prayer and worship, let's come with hearts that's broken and contrite. That's what pleases God. Let's be Jacob who acknowledges who he is rather than covering himself up with Esau. All right, let's, uh, let's spend a little time in prayer.